0: Voice of Fintech. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech America series. My name is Rudy Falad and I'm the founder of Voice of Fintech podcast. In this series, you will hear inspirational stories of entrepreneurs, investors and incumbents and ecosystem hub leaders from the United States or North America and LATAM. This episode is hosted by David Jakubovic from New York.
1: Welcome back listeners to the Voice of FinTech podcast where we're looking at the future of FinTech, the startups that are creating and making the creator economy for small businesses and large scale ups. Today, our guest is Ryan Conway, who's the Senior Vice President and Head of Business Development and Partnerships at Oxygen. Oxygen is working on banking for small businesses and they're really revolutionizing the FinTech industry. Ryan, thanks so much for joining us on the
2: show. Likewise, thank thank you for having me. Let's start off
1: from a high level. If you can tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Oxygen and what you guys are building.
2: As you mentioned, I head up as a development and partnerships. Part of my remit is a kind of product strategy and thinking through what are the things that we want to uh, build out here. My background is in payment systems, both on the acquiring side, as well as the issuing side. I spent some time at the networks. So I have a a broader range of understanding of fintech products and and needs. And the other is acquisition. So working through large marketplaces that can, to your point, see some value in in the product that we're offering. Oxygen, as you've mentioned, is focused on, Small businesses, but really uh, focusing on the new economy. So these are the everything from the 60 million freelancers to the creator economy. The economy is really changing, and more and more people are going into this sole proprietor or kind of small business line of work. And this is something that we're looking to build for. So we built today both a consumer and a small business debit card effectively, and we're building a bunch of other tools in order for these this segment to really easily run both their personal Uh, in business lives and uh, look forward to uh, discussing a little bit more as we uh, go on today.
1: I love the small business economy because it is the life and blood of the entire world. We hear consistently that over 80% of new jobs, at least in North America, are driven by mom and pops and small businesses. But it's no longer just having this physical brick and mortar footprint as you've mentioned, we've moved into this gig plus economy, where a mm-hmm. lot of us are gig workers and remote workers and freelancers. And by being these solopreneurs, there's so much overhead that's required by that. It reminds me of my father, who is an immigrant to the United States, that when he got started, he made his own business. He knew nothing about finance and management and business but he had to get started and that was in an offline world Exactly. let's talk a little bit about the trends today in fintech how has the industry shifted from where we've been to where we're coming today
2: yeah no that's a that's a great question i think to really see where we're at today and where we're going you have to reverse a little bit and going back to what is largely considered version one of of fintech so I think right after the 2008-9 crisis a lot of different companies started effectively unbundling services that were traditionally offered in the banking system so this is your fx pr- providers your payments uh, companies so if they give the stripe or a square lending all the online lenders that really popped up around that time student loans with the SoFIs and so forth and then unbundling kind of insurance products really just focusing exclusively on that singular product. V2, which is where I think we're probably uh, in the midst of today and moving forward on, is this rebundling. So bringing everything back in-house. So if you think of effectively building the bank back up, but slowly, but surely, and then adding more value and learning a little bit more and and cross-selling, if you will, different products and services and really a one-stop shop, if you will. I think V3 is where a lot of folks are focused on, certainly us at at Oxygen, is really AI-powered smart systems. So this is really thinking through how can we just make it easier in this concept of self-driving money and really just helping our folks make smarter decisions. To your point, when your dad came to the country, he didn't really know about financing and and there's just so much to learn. If we can really get to know our users through a lot of this data that is being provided, we can then give them uh, better products and services that they can make effectively better uh, decisions For them. So it's something that we think is going to be critical to in the next couple of years. And it's why we're investing in it quite a lot, quite a bit.
1: You know, something I'm so fascinated by is as we've seen the migration from an offline economy to an online economy. As you mentioned, Ryan, we saw the unbundling of products. And traditionally, consumers could think about this in the streaming wars with big players, the Netflix and Disney+, Plus, Hulus and YouTubes of the world, how we start unbundling cable and television and different media rights. Mm-hmm. And then some of those packages as well have been rebundled. Now you can buy a whole package of different digital media assets. So it sounds that the finance industry is going through a similar evolution of, we've moved from the unbundling back to rebundling of these multiple products. Why do you think that is so?
2: Well, there's a couple of reasons, frankly. One of it is regulatory. A large, I I would say the traditional financial institutions for many years uh, relied on the fact that it was quite difficult for folks to, to build in this sector. If you think back to Probably the original Neobank, a simple, which unfortunately, very recently, I believe last month, announced that they were closing down. But it took them, you know, three to four years to really build everything. They were really the trailblazers in the space. And I think all of us certainly owe them a debt of gratitude with different regulation, open banking regulations. And as a side effect of that, different sort of banking as a service providers, you can get. You can spin up uh, effectively a financial services product in, in a manner of weeks, whereas traditionally it took you uh, a year or, or more and, and several million dollars. It's really being democratized here, and it's one of the reasons why there's increased competition in the space, which ultimately uh, benefits the end consumer, which I think we can all agree is a good thing.
1: I think so and I I remember my days of owning a simple card which now I believe is BBVA or how it's been deprecated and it was so great to not have to visit a physical branch for an ATM or to be able to go to any ATM. Some of these benefits today that we take for granted as consumers were very novel and very refreshing for the industry. And perhaps now we're entering, as you've coined it, this third wave of FinTech 3.0 It's Mm -hmm. smart money and AI. I think perhaps the pandemic has further cemented this idea of digital and online assets. What do you think about FinTech 3.0 and where Oxygen is positioned around
2: that? You know, FinTech 3.0 is certainly, as I mentioned, this ability to really make smarter decisions for your end users. But I think, I think what you're seeing is the cultural phenomenon in many ways within the fintech and financial services space. And it really goes to this brand equity question, which I think is effectively critical to to attracting and, and ultimately retaining customers. There was a really good post from Mark Goldberg at Index Ventures that, that really takes a look at this and he breaks it down slightly differently, but I think it, it translates here, what he considers the first wave, which is convenience, right? So to that end, make your local bank branch as as close as possible to the end consumer. The second wave, which is largely product-driven, so technology-driven products, which certainly we saw a, a mass adoption change with the pandemic. Uh, and then the third wave, what he talks about, is, is brand or self-expression. And this is something that can feel a little bit squishy, but we think is absolutely critical to our ultimate success and something that we're de- definitely dialing in on. Today, just building good or even great products is, is really not enough. People really wanna connect with their brand and money is a natural vehicle for both social and, and self-expression. If you look at, for example, how Square has really performed well in this area, effectively surpassing Venmo with their Cash App product, And they've done so largely by plugging into the cultural zeitgeist. They recently bought Tidal and brought Jay-Z on as a board member. They announced their own clothing brand. They've really worked well with influencers as well and really have become a cultural mainstay. We're really looking in a similar vein towards our end consumer from this cultural mindset and really see this as a potential long-term differentiator. If you take a look at how we're thinking about that practically, uh, design is really important to us. You take a look at everything from our website, the photos that we get. It's definitely not your, the, the financial institution that, that your father used. And we're really trying to speak to this new economy to these creators, these freelancers, and these entrepreneurs, which overwhelmingly skew towards artistic, artistic fields. We're also working really closely with these uh, influencer partnerships. We just completed uh, and executed a big partnership with Amanda Cerny. She's a former Vine star who's got about 25 million followers on Instagram. Uh, so that was successful, hugely successful for us. And we're looking to do a lot more of that in 2020. But I think we have a, a pretty natural comparative advantage here. When you think of if, a, if an influencer is going to be doing uh, a partnership with a bank, I think most people are going to look at that and look at them as, as selling out while working with a fintech is cool. And as we look to build our brand, of course our product, and as I mentioned earlier, we think that this is a medium that really helps us connect with people viscerally. And I think that's gonna be critical for fintechs to succeed, uh, certainly in this decade and going forward.
1: I'm very excited about design when it comes to banking. I think it makes it a painless or seamless or pleasurable or enjoyable experience. I know, historically, we think of banking as this slow, archaic, full of friction process. And we've seen in the enterprise space, of course, the classic story of Apple and Goldman Sachs. Mm -hmm. Just a few weeks ago, in New York City, I saw the card in person for the first time. And I said, this is beautiful and, and exciting how they've been so thoughtful in the process. And it's great to hear that, Ryan, what you're team at Oxygen is building is the same benefits, but for these small businesses and the drivers of the creator economy. Exactly. This creator economy is using platforms like Patreon and Medium and a lot of exciting areas to generate wealth and businesses. And we've started seeing a lot of these platforms also dabble into the fintech 3.0. And Mm -hmm. 3.0 can also be the cryptocurrency. And we're seeing the legitimization of crypto. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you've seen in this space and why you think crypto might be getting closer to being legitimized?
2: Yeah, no, that's certainly something that's topical these days. I think that the crypto space has certainly enjoyed something of a renaissance lately. Of course, we've seen all-time highs of both Bitcoin and Ethereum, but I think there's some broader fundamental themes that are really worth driving into that, that are really driving these prices and other innovation in the space. So you've got very large partners in the payment sphere like Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal have all entered the space really with full force. Visa, for example, just announced that they're gonna be allowing settlement of the USDC uh, stablecoin by the Ethereum blockchain on their rails. PayPal also recently announced that they're gonna be allowing Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum as well as a few other of the larger cryptos for payment mechanisms. There's really exciting things happening, certainly at the network level where traditionally these networks were wanting to be a little bit more closed loop, if, if you will. Then you've got uh, crypto as a treasury asset. So. Both Square uh, and Tesla have put uh, some pretty serious money of their own balance sheet into Bitcoin. Back in Q4, Square put about $50 million, which I think, I don't remember the exact price, but has done quite well to the tune of about 3 to 4x, I believe. And more recently, Tesla, not to be outdone, put about $1.5 billion of their own respective balance sheet towards Bitcoin. And I think you're going to see some more of this, certainly from large Fortune 500 companies. And, and I'll even go out and say it, I, I think you'll see some governments putting some of their assets towards this specific instrument. Certainly the institutional money uh, has come in and come in big. I think that's helped the, the broader sector. BlackRock, for example, uh, the world's largest asset manager, saying that they're dabbling in the space. And Morgan Stanley recently announced that they're going to be really the first US, U.S. banking institution to allow their clients to purchase Bitcoin. And then not last but not least, we're sitting on the precipice of really the first U.S. IPO in the space with Coinbase. They recently announced their Q1 earnings ahead of that IPO, where they announced $1.1 billion of EBITDA on $1.8 billion in revenue. I think that really uh, are are fundamentals that that anyone would be certainly interested in having. But what I think all of this kind of collectively means for the industry is that the industry is maturing and and that the fundamentals are stronger today than they've ever been before. Now, I'm not going to go out and give any price predictions, as it were. But as historical cycles have certainly been up and down, I'm not even sure that we're still in a cycle. But one thing that's clear is that there's a strong consumer demand here. And and I don't see that changing. And at Oxygen, we're looking closely at this space and how we can participate here, because there's certainly a demand for it. So look forward to some announcements here later this year from us on that front.
1: That's very exciting. And as we're on the precipice, of course, of seeing the legitimization of institutions moving uh, portfolio into the crypto industry, we've seen the big three players such as Consensus and Digital Coin Group DCG and NYDIG really add to that legitimacy. Of course, um, DCG is the owner of coinbase so Mm -hmm. for them the digital currency group dcg that's an exciting moment to see one of their companies go public and these signals are i think essential really for the portfolio of clients that oxygen works with as well thinking about taking this conversation back to small businesses Mm -hmm. driving the importance of banking and banking across numerous digital assets Ryan, can you share with us more, like, why are we today at an inflection point that banking for small businesses needs to be improved?
2: Yeah, no, I, that's a great question. And and I think, largely speaking, banking for small businesses has not been open to a lot of different folks. We're excited, and we're building different products and services for these folks. And really, the kind of genesis of the company came uh, from our founder story, Hussein, who was working at the time as a freelancer. His background is is both in computer science where he's got a PhD, uh, from Virginia Tech, he's a serial entrepreneur, was working at, at Amazon, then created a company, sold that company, was looking for his next thing, decided to go back at the same time and get an MBA at UC Berkeley Haas. But because he you know, has a PhD in computer science, was able to attract a pretty large stable of paying customers there. And this is when he realized that the banking services really were not meant for this segment. You get put in the bucket of, are you a W-2 Person. So are you getting a regular paycheck every two weeks from a credit risk modeling perspective? That's what most financial institutions look for on the personal side. And then on the business side, most of them are, are asking about a bunch of different payroll and all, all these other types of things. To your point, a lot of these folks are, are not going to react all that well to that or just feel like it's, there's a round hole in a square peg. After having a really poor experience himself, even though he was making quite, a, quite a, a nice living doing this, he realized that this was broken, and he started asking around. At the time, he was renting some space in a WeWork with a, a bunch of other folks doing uh, different sort of solopreneur activities. And to a person, they all said that they had the same challenge. Then he took a look at how large this segment is, um, that they weren't underserved and, and, and saw that there was a market need there, which is how kind of Oxygen was born. That's really what we're, what we're looking at, trying to build out really a platform and an ecosystem. So that includes not only banking services, but also a holistic way. So that's one of the reasons why I mentioned at the top, you can create an LLC. We're looking to build out a bunch of more functionality around expensing, around accounting, around this holistic life, if you will, of this this new economy entrepreneur that we think the traditional banking system is not set up to, to serve very well.
1: And I think we've seen throughout the pandemic exactly that a lot of small businesses, as it would happen, missed out on the first round of the PPP loans and the forgiveness program. And now with that second round, many Startups and scale-ups are saying, how do we participate here? Of course, there's been many companies out there, such as the Clear Banks and Fundera's and, and others that help with working capital. And in fact, you've announced the partnership with Fundera. Can you tell us more about that?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, and it really goes back to, I think this highlights what I was talking about earlier on the credit piece. When you think of the challenges that most of these small business and solopreneurs had, with the first round of the PPP, is that by its name, it was always meant to be, you needed a payroll to be able to participate there. Now, obviously most freelancers, being a business of one, don't have payroll unless they're a Schedule C on their LLC, in which case they are designated themselves as the the sole employer, or if you will, they weren't able to participate in this. And because they also didn't have a W-2 income, they were doubly shut out because they couldn't participate in, in unemployment benefits. So when round two came along and we saw that it was there was some changes made specifically they're looking at for this segment more more on the revenue side of things. So specifically, if you could uh, prove that you had a 25 percent decrease in revenue year over year 2020 to uh, 2019, you could then participate and, and get upwards of a 2.5 percent. Of your prior years' income in a potentially forgivable loan. So, when we were reaching out to a number of partners, Fundera Group it just really made sense for us, who of course are now part of the NerdWallet group, and, and it's been phenomenally successful. And, and we're really happy that that we could do this because, like we've, like I've said, th- this group has really struggled in 2020, like a lot of us have, but. To your point, this is the driver of the economy. And I think I think when people saw what happened in the first round and a lot of these larger companies coming in uh, and getting a lot of these loans, it just felt like it wasn't what the spirit of the program was. We certainly have seen, a, there's certainly been some bumps and and I would say it's certainly not a perfect process, but it's been vastly improved in this wave. And we look to continue to help our users any way we can. And this is a great example of, of how we're trying to do that.
1: That definitely is a very exciting partnership with Fundera, now part of Nerd Wallet. And I think beyond what you've seen here with the payment protection programs, we've also, looking back on the pandemic as we're emerging into this digital hybrid world is what significant signals COVID has done for fintech and banking. And it seems that there are some significant changes here that are now legitimized, such as digital banking, such as digital movement of assets. Could you dive deeper into these for us, Ryan?
2: Yeah, no, and I think broadly what you're seeing is uh, a a vast change into digital economies uh, across a number of different industries, whether that be telehealth, certainly in digital banking. We've seen our own really massive growth that we think was certainly accelerated by COVID-19. But what I think it's important to take a look back at, at some of the things that we were seeing towards the beginning of the pandemic when we were all a little bit younger and I think probably a little bit more certainly naive in a way but a lot of the a lot of the big traditional banks chose this moment to say that oh what we're in now is a flight to quality when the going gets tough everybody's going to come back to effectively the strength of, of the banking system and I think you saw a little bit of that a lot of that narrative was was driven around by the fact that You saw their deposit assets grow substantially. Certainly at the Q2 timeframe, you saw a spike and, and everybody was doing high fives in that space. I think it's really an intuitive thing to think of when traditionally these larger institutions who had a lot of the more wealthy individuals whose own balance sheets were exploding as the stock market skyrocketed while the rest of the country was largely a hurting here. That's, I think, what you were seeing there. Meanwhile, the FinTechs were really just busy doing what they're doing, helping folks, doing things like processing more PPP loans faster to smaller and minority-owned businesses, depositing stimulus checks faster. This is trillions of dollars that's going into the economy. And generally continuing on the mission to really delight their end uh, consumer. What I think is a result was not only a boom for, of new customers, a really a shifting mindset of, of from these end, end customers of of who is their primary financial institution. Uh, there was actually some really good research done by Cornerstone Advisors that asked the millennial segment, who I'll remind you just reached 40 years of age this year, who was their primary financial institution. Was it a, a neobank or a fintech or, or was it with a traditional financial institution? And that number changed. It went up to 15% in 2020 versus 5% of the year prior. And I think what you're seeing here is is really the beginning of a massive shift. Jamie Dimon, CEO of JPMorgan Chase, recently said that they should be scared shitless, if you will, of fintechs. And obviously, he's not dumb, and, and they certainly have a lot of money to compete with. But what I think you're seeing here is really an inflection point, an important moment in fintech and banking more broadly, where... You're going to start seeing a slowly and then really a more of a mass exodus away from traditional financial institutions who have traditionally really largely relied on regulatory moats to protect them, and that's no longer protecting them. So I think we're going to see really an interesting decade in, in fintech in, in the 2020s.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think we've started to see it as we've been emerging from the pandemic about this brand equity. It's not just for the brick and mortar banks, but it's also for some of the fintech players and the different um, assets that have moved. One of the classic examples, of course, is the, the Robinhood GameStop stock situation. That one was one for the books. What's your take on that, uh, Ryan?
2: Yeah, to my earlier point on brand equity, it's critical. It's something that, I can't remember who said this, but it's really, it's really apropos that it takes a a reputation, takes a lifetime to build, but can be eroded in in, in as quickly as a day. So it's something that we're really thinking through. We think it's potentially a cautionary tale for us that brand means so many things, but I think consistency and transparency are critical there. So it's something that that we think is absolutely critical as we build out our greater brand strategy that I went into uh, detail a little bit earlier on.
1: And so moving forward, looking at the next 12 months, let's review some milestones that Oxygen has had and the pathways forward. So there was a public announcement about your Series A round of financing. What is the Series A going to enable you to do at Oxygen?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. It just really is a validation of of the product that we built to date. I'll remind you, we were just a a little over a year into this. We came out of the gate January 2020, right before the pandemic. So it really just allows us to continue to build on our mission, creating a platform for this new economy. And by doing that, delighting our end users with great products and and building kind of out that brand and ecosystem that I talked about. How we're going to do that, obviously, we're hiring. If anyone's interested across all spectrums, marketing operations, fraud, everything that you need to put together a fintech, we're looking to hire the best. So if you want to get, if if you're interested, reach out. I'm happy to speak directly on on that. And uh, we've got some new interesting products uh, that we're pretty excited about. You're going to see an evolution of the brand from a design perspective. We're always pushing ourselves on that. From a product, touched a little bit on how we're thinking about the broader sort of platform there that'll include things like allowing uh, these people to take payments, so invoicing products, and, and then better, better manage themselves. So thinking about business management software, expense management, and accounting. So these are all things that we're thinking about, and we're looking forward to uh, continue to build out and uh, deliver it on, on our mission in uh, 2021.
1: And thinking about even long-term milestones, of course, as a startup that is gaining product market fit and becoming a scale-up, you're looking at the short-term today with the Series A. But looking out like Vision 2030, where do you see the greater landscape for what Oxygen's building for the entire fintech ecosystem?
2: Yeah, I think it's easy to take a look out into the future and discuss a little bit about this in the self-driving money concept. We we just wanna make it really easy for our end users to make better financial decisions so they can spend more time doing what, frankly, most of them love and are best at, which is doing their specific skill, their specific business, and, and growing that. And if we can do that by creating products and services that help them just make better decisions and delight them. That's what we're hyper-focused on. I think you'll probably see us think about expansion into new regions, potentially. That's how we think about this because we really see a monumental shift in how people are effectively making money and more and more folks are deciding to go this solopreneur route. And the fact that we're business um, banking is really not there, there to serve them today, let alone for what's coming up in the next five years, We want to be there building for them and and allowing them to thrive and prosper.
1: And so what are some next steps or actions, Ryan, so that our builders and solopreneurs can go to today with Oxygen to learn more?
2: Yeah. So you can find us at oxygen.us. If you're interested, go to the bottom of the page and there's a career center. But if you just want to learn a little bit more about us, .us. oxygen.us, you can test it out. Takes less than a minute to uh, sign up for an account. We've Taking a lot of the friction out of it and give us a shot and uh, take a look. I think you'll like what
1: I'm looking forward to everything that you're building, Ryan, for small businesses and the entire fintech industry. It's been a pleasure. Ryan Conway, the SVP head of business development and partnerships at Oxygen.
2: Thanks for having me, David. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast.